gold throughout history. Okay, maybe not now. Like maybe like you make no NFTs. Like those are the most valuable thing. Even, those aren't things anymore, by the way. At least I don't exactly. Um, but throughout history, gold has been the most valuable thing. Like that anyone has ever found. Like it's been the most valuable currency and all that. Um, so gold is like the, one of the most valuable things. But gold is not as valuable like when you find it in the ground as it is in the most finished product. Like you can come in, like you can go mining and you can get like a, a gold ore that weighs like one ounce or whatever. And you're like, okay, that's cool. That's probably like $100 worth of gold right there. But if you refine that gold to where it's 100 ounces of pure gold, like, it's probably worth $10,000, like so much more whenever it's refined. And I did a little bit of research on how you refine gold. And today, it's a lot more complicated than it used to be. But in ancient times, whenever they found gold, they would get it. They would break it down until it was a, um, in a dust. So they would take it down and, and get it into dust. And then they would um, put it into a fire, like literally get the gold, put it in a pot, and get it super, super hot until it started to melt and turn into a liquid. And so then the, the goldsmith, the guy who was in charge of this whole process, he would make the fire even hotter to make sure the gold was super hot. And what the goldsmith was looking for in this, he's looking for any kind of changes. He's looking for impurities to come up. And he would get this little thing, and he would get out different impurities, like different rocks, different metals. Everything that wasn't gold, he would get out. And then if he let it melt and he got it down, if he didn't like the way it looked, like if it still had impurities in it, if it still was a little dull, if it didn't look pure enough, he put it back into the fire. And they would do this process over and over and over again until he got all of the impurities out. And the way he knew that the gold was finally at its most pure state was whenever he would cool it off and he could look at it and he would see his reflection back into it. Like gold, whenever it's refined and pure, you're able to, to see a reflection into it. And that's how he knew that it was um, like it was pure. And so he would use that. He would cool it off. And then he can make it into any shape he wants. Like if you want a ring, we can make a ring. If you want a necklace, we can make a necklace. Um, So only after it goes through that process. But the bottom line is, is that it's so much more valuable after it's been through that process than it was before. So now we are going to go back into 1 Peter. um, And lucky for you guys, we're going to tie this series back into our last series, World Changers. First Peter, let's do a little bit of recap. Peter, he started off in verses 1 and 2, ta- telling us basically who he was writing to. He says, I'm writing to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And so if this is your first time ever hearing this, this guy named Peter, he was one of the 12 apostles. This is later on in his life. He was probably like in his 20s when he followed Jesus. Now he's like 60 or something like that. He's pretty old now. Um, He is writing a letter to the churches that he helped found. And the churches are going through immense suffering because they followed Jesus. They chose to follow Jesus. And because they did that, they were being persecuted. Following Jesus always means going against society. And whenever you go against society, it's always going to cause friction. 
And that is what following Jesus did for these Christians in the Roman Empire. And so last week we saw in verses 3 and 5, like Peter, he started in verse 3, he opened up into worship. He says, I'm writing to you guys chosen. And then he starts off verse 3 and he says, bless God. He starts off worshiping because of the salvation and the new hope and the living hope that we have. And so in verses 3 and 4, which we went over last week, he is basically saying, like, bless God, praise God, because he has given us a new life because of his mercy, and that new life is for a living hope. And our hope is alive because Jesus, he rose from the dead. And that new life, it it is into an imperishable, undefiled, impure life that is, ooh, a balloon just fell. That's cool. Yeah, literally, I don't know how I even got up there in the first place. Uh, yes. Oren, please don't mess with that. Basically, if you can summarize last week, we have a living hope. We can have a true living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And we talked about last week how like salvation always equals suffering. And last week was all about salvation, so we can pretty much tell what this week's going to be about. This is a continuation off of what Peter was saying. And actually, this is a really nerdy part, and you guys are going to like this. Verses 3 through 12 is just one sentence in the Greek. Like, it's just one run-on sentence. So if you, like, are writing in, in English, and your, um, per, your teacher's like, hey, like, that's a run-on sentence. You're like, actually, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, like, they all had run-on sentences. It's okay. Look in my Greek Bible, and I'll show you if you need that, text me, and I'll send you the, the reference in my Greek Bible. Uh, so First Peter 1, 6, he is continuing the thought he had from verse 5. Um, he says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. He says that you rejoice. You can rejoice. You can find joy. You can find happiness. You can be happy. And he says, in this. The in this that Peter is referring to is talking about the living hope that they have in the salvation that is waiting for them in heaven. So everything that we talked about last week, he says you can rejoice in that. The fact that your, your inheritance, your salvation, is waiting for you in heaven, and there's nothing that nobody can do to take that away. And he says even though you're suffering right now for being a follower of Jesus, they can still have joy because of the salvation that is waiting for them in heaven. So you see how hope is fueling their joy. Like they are suffering right now, but they have a living hope that is going to be a better future. And because they have that living hope that's going to be a better future, they can rejoice today. They can find joy and happiness today. But one question that I still have and that we probably still have I'm going to read a passage like this, and we see examples in the Bible. Why does God allow suffering? Like we think like God is good. God is in control. God allows everything to happen. And if I give my life to him, we think everything should be going good. Everything should go fine. Like we now have favor from God. He's going to open up every door. We're going to be blessed in every single way. Like why does God allow suffering in hard times still to happen. Another question, like, is the suffering, is it purposeful? Like, is God doing it in us because it has a purpose behind it? 
Or sometimes if we get even more cynical or, or even more mad at God, we think like, like does God even care? Like, like, God, have you not seen all the things I've done for you? Like, I've come to church every Wednesday. I've been carrying my Bible with me to school. Why am I still going through this suffering? Do you even care? Does God cause the suffering? And if he doesn't cause it, then why wouldn't God take it away? Verse 6 and 7, he says, you rejoice in this. You rejoice in that salvation. Even though now for a short time, if necessary... You suffered grief in various trials so that, this is the reason why, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that they can re rejoice in salvation even though they will suffer for it because the suffering has a purpose. There is a purpose behind the problems that they have in their life. And that proves the character of their faith by refining it, by putting it through the fire. Like just like how gold has to be refined by fire, like you get gold out of the rock and it's not, it's not pure, it's refined by fire. The same thing is with our faith. Just like, oh, here, here's a good one. And I'm actually kind of sad that Josh isn't here. Like, it's just like how Joe Rogan, he says, like, difficult times create strong people. And it's that whole, like, slogan, like, difficult times create strong people. Strong people make good times. Good times make weak people. Weak people make difficult times. And so it's that cycle. Like, difficult times make strong people, but God was already saying that in the Bible. Difficult times, because you follow Jesus, like, any kind of persecution, any kind of suffering, any kind of dis, like, um, step back you face because you follow Jesus— will not only build your faith in God, but it also proves the faith that you already have in Him. Difficult times prove that. And so like, we ask the question, like, how can we tell if we are a true follower of Jesus? Or how can we tell if our friend is a true follower of Jesus? How can we tell? It's the one who continues to follow Jesus, even whenever it costs them. Even, like, if you see somebody, and like, why are you following Jesus? It, it's costing you so much. I don't like that spot right there. That's how we know. It's always right there. Like, it, it just stops right there. Put an, yeah, let's put an X right there. A, a box. Don't walk there. But that's how you know if somebody is a true follower of Jesus. Like, are they going to continue to follow him even if it costs them? Jesus even told us, he says, if you want to be my follower, we must take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him. And so if this is your first time here, you're the first time hearing this message, I want you to know that that is what Jesus says is required of us after we follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow him. That means dying to our own flesh it means saying no to ourselves, but at the same time, it also means that we endure persecution for following him. And our proven character is, more, is, is so important because he says it brings the praise, glory, and honor to Jesus whenever he comes again. 
Like he says, I like get the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like when Jesus comes, like is he going to find Christians that look like him? Or is he going to find Christians that don't? Because remember how the gold, it, it's, I'm not going to step right there again. Remember how the gold, like how does the goldsmith know that the gold is finally pure? He says, whenever I can see my reflection in the gold, like when I look back and I see myself, the gold is finished and it doesn't need to be refined anymore. When Jesus comes back, is he going to be able to look at us and make, I see my reflection in that person. So that is the goal of our suffering in this present life. We can have hope and we can have joy today because we have a future salvation that is waiting for us in heaven that nobody can take away. But we can also have hope and joy today because even though we are living in an evil world, even though we're living in a world that is so different from the way of Jesus, whenever we follow him, we can have joy and hope today because that God is using that to make us look even more like him. Like that is reasons to rejoice. Whenever we like, like why are like, whenever we read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is like rejoice when you're persecuted. Like you're blessed when you're persecuted. Like what does that mean? It's because the result is that we can become more like Jesus in every way. We become, so when Jesus comes back, he sees his reflection in us. The purpose is that we become more like him, and this is how we truly worship God. We said last week, worship is whatever we put worth in, like it's anything that we see value. We call what we do before here, like when we sing, we call that praise and worship, but it's because we're using that moment to take a second and say, God, I'm giving you worth, I'm giving you praise, but we also give God worship by acknowledging that everything I'm doing is to become more like you. So whenever God comes back, when Jesus comes back and he sees us, we bring praise, glory, and honor to him when our lives are a reflection of his. And he comes back and he says, this is good. Peter continues with more reason that we can have joy in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. So Jesus isn't here right now. I mean, like, technically he is because Jesus is God and God is omnipresent and we're at, like, God is literally everywhere at the same time. And Jesus also said, like, where two or three are gathered, like, he is there in our midst. Like, Jesus is here. Like, his presence is here. It's his spirit that is actively transforming us. But his body isn't here. Like, his body is not here. Like, it's not even on earth. Like, you will not find the bones of Jesus on earth. You will not find the body of Jesus on earth. Like you'll find the body of Martin Luther King Jr., of King David, of any body in history who's ever lived. Like, but you won't ever find Jesus. He's not here. His physical body, he and his physical body ascended to heaven after his resurrection. Like he's not walking around here like he was. Like it's not going to be like, all right, guess what? I got a special guest and Jesus walks in. Like that's not going to happen. But that is what Peter is getting at. Like, even though, like, how cool would that be? Like, yeah, it's me and Jonathan Rumi. I'm just <laughs> but that, that's what Peter, Peter's getting at. It's like, even though you don't see Jesus, even though, like, he's not physically here right now, 
And even though you have never seen him, like we still love him. We still believe in him. Even though we are suffering, instead of seeing him, which is the promise, like the Peter's bringing that up because there will be one day where we will see Jesus. But even though we're suffering now instead of that, we still trust him. And because of that trust in Jesus, despite what we're going through, we can rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Like the, the, what Peter's describing here is joy that makes no sense. Like the Christians who were, that Peter was writing to in that first century, that was not the emotion Roman soldiers were expecting when they were crucifying Christians. Whenever they were nailing them to the cross, like think about what they were experiencing, like the Roman soldiers. Like, why is this person rejoicing right now? Like, that's not the emotion Roman soldiers were expecting when they were putting oil on the Christian to use as a lantern that night. Like, they weren't expecting joy. <laughs> But that is exactly what Peter is saying. Like, even though we are suffering, we rejoice with an inexpressible, in a glorious joy. That is the exact kind of emotion and joy that we have access to. And that's what Peter's getting at. He says, like, this isn't just waiting for you tomorrow. Like, this isn't just something that's waiting for you when you get to heaven. And I promise you, when we get into heaven, we see Jesus, and we can come and worship him, we will be filled with inexpressible joy. But he says, this is something you have access to right now. Like, this isn't something you have to wait for, even hope. Like, we live in a world that is full of hopelessness and depression. We see people walking through the halls every single day that are living in that dead, futile life. But that is not the way that we have to live. He says we have a living hope. We can rejoice in an inexpressible, inglorious joy. Why can we have that? Like, why, why is that possible? How can we show that? It's because even, though the ref, even through the refining, through the suffering, through the hard times, through not fitting in, through losing that promotion, through losing that best friend that doesn't like you now because you're a Christian, through that we are receiving the goal, our salvation, and through that we're becoming more like Jesus. And now you might be seeing like, Peter, how can you be saying this right now? Like, how can you be writing to other Christians and telling them that they can have joy even though they might die tomorrow? How can you be telling to us right now, even though if we follow Jesus, we might lose friends or our family might think something less of us? Peter can write this because he lived this. We got through that in our World Changer series. Um, like, we saw some of the persecution that Peter and, and James and John uh, face and acts 40 years before Peter ever wrote this. Like, we saw some of that, but that was just the beginning, and it got way worse for Peter. Like, one of the instances, like, we, we know that Peter got arrested for preaching about Jesus, and the leaders, they say, hey, don't ever preach about Jesus again. Jesus, or Peter, he goes out, he preaches about Jesus again, 
And then he gets arrested again. And this time during the night, he's sitting in jail. And it says an angel comes and releases him. And so he's, the angel says, hey, I'm going to open up this jail cell for you. Now go back into the temple and keep preaching about Jesus. And so Peter, he goes out there and he's preaching about Jesus. And the Jewish leaders, they hear like those people that you just locked up, like they're back out there preaching again. And so they're, like, they're so confused and they arrest them again. And this time it gets a little worse. And the, this time the leaders, they are debating, what should we do with Peter, James, and John? Like, should we kill them or not? And so they go back and forth, and they're debating. And finally, they decide against that. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, it says, They called in the apostles, and they had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. And then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. So in a matter of a few days and a few weeks, like they were in and out of jail multiple different times. They were being mistreated. They were th- being thought less of. They were probably losing friends because of it. They were beaten. It says they were flogged, and it just leaves it at that. But that is such a gruesome act of violence that was done to them in that moment. Like, that's the same thing that would happen to Jesus before he was crucified. Like, their backs are getting tore up. Like, they are, they're going to have scars from this for the rest of their life. And it says they leave rejoicing. Like, that doesn't make sense. And like, even after this, in a few chapters, they get arrested again. And then one of them, James, actually gets killed the next day. But it says they still leave rejoicing. Why? It says because they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They considered it worthy to be treated the same way that Jesus was treated. Like, like Peter, Jim, in this moment, they got it. We saw Peter, like on the day that Jesus was arrested, like he ran. He denied Jesus. But here... They understood the assignment. Like, they get it. They, they understood the assignment. And the assignment, yeah, the assignment is to become more and more like Jesus. In our faith. <laughs> All right, you can get off that slide now. You guys take a picture? Okay, good. The assignment, the goal, our mission is to become more and more like Jesus. And Peter, James, John, they understood that. The assignment, yeah. To become like Jesus in every single way. You are distracting. Yes. Peter, James, and John, they understood what the mission was. <laughs> I'm trying to continue here, all right? <laughs> but think about it this way. The goal is to become more like Jesus. But you don't become more like Jesus without being treated the same way that Jesus was. You don't become more like him. We don't receive our goal if in some way we're not being treated the same way that Jesus was treated. 
And that takes courage. That takes boldness. It goes against every fiber of our being to go through that on behalf of Jesus' name. Like, that takes boldness to be treated the same way that Jesus was. But that is exactly what Jesus tells us. Like, Jesus, like, if you look up in your Bible, like, this is Jesus telling us in John chapter 15. Like, this is going to be red letter. These are the words of Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were of your friends, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world will hate you. Like, Jesus doesn't get any more clear than that. Like, if this is your first time, welcome. By the way, like, welcome. I, I'm so glad that you're here. Honestly, like, Jesus loves you. But Jesus doesn't get any more clear. He says, if you were of the world, like, the world is going to accept you as your own. And so if you want to be accepted by the world, then you have to be of the world. But he says, if you follow me, you will be hated because you follow me because the world hates me. Everything I stand for. My life I live, what I'm preaching, it goes against the fiber of the world. It goes against the flesh. But this is reason to rejoice. This is a reason to have hope. This is a reason to have joy. Not to joy because we are suffering. Like that is not what this is here. Like we don't rejoice because we get to suffer. We don't rejoice because we get to lose friends. We don't rejoice because we get to be thought of as weird. We get to rejoice because through that we are receiving the goal of our salvation, which is to become more and more like Jesus. If Matthew, if you want to go and come back. And now, if you're wondering, like this is like, can we just be honest for a second again? If you're wondering, like, why are we talking about suffering? Like, if you want to, like, none of this sounds familiar to me. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I don't experience this in my day-to-day life. Like, for me, honest, like, if, you're, if this isn't a daily experience, maybe it's because we're not doing what Jesus asked us to do. At some form, at some level, maybe it's because we're not living the way that Jesus would. Like, if this is comfortable... Living the way of Jesus in your everyday life, there's probably two reasons. Like one, like good for you. It's probably because you're surrounded by like fully devoted Jesus followers 24-7. Or two, we're not living a bold life that Jesus would have. Like if walking around your school, if it feels super comfortable, it's one of those. For Peter, the reason that they were suffering was because the results of their salvation that they experienced in their lives, it meant that their life was going to be so different from the world around them that they were going in the opposite direction and it was going to cause friction. And so the life of a follower of Jesus, yes, God, I'm listening. The life of a follower of Jesus who has experienced salvation, a life 
that has given their life to Jesus and is experiencing that salvation, it's going to look different from the world around you and that will cause friction. And so part of the reason that we don't experience, that we don't face more persecution, and this isn't just for us, this is just like the church in general, like the American church, the capital city. The part of the reason that we in America, we don't experience as much persecution as people in other countries, some of it is because we have toned down the gospel to be way easier to accept and believe. And another is because our lives aren't lived in a way that, the, that Jesus would have. And that's a hard thing to accept, but that's true of all of us in some way. Like all of us, like even, even me, like it's so much easier just to not say anything to your friend that is living apart from Jesus. It's so much easier just not to say anything. It's so much easier just to blend in. It is so much easier. Like I, I get it. It's so much easier just to go with the flow, just to do what your friends are doing. I, I understand that 100%. But that is not the way of Jesus. Jesus, he said that the gate is wide and the road is huge that leads to destruction and many people will find it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life and few will find it. Will you find that? Will you find life? And so my action for you guys that I want you guys to partake in, that I want you guys to do, for those of you who are following Jesus, I want you to live a life that is proclaiming salvation. Jesus is the only way to life. And he says the road is narrow, the the road is difficult, but Jesus is still the only way to life. And so my challenge for you is to tell everybody, like, don't be shy to share your testimony Don't be shy to share what Jesus has done in your life. Like if you've experienced salvation and new life, my my sins are forgiven. I was hopeless, but now I have a living hope. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm rejoicing in salvation. Like don't be shy to share what Jesus has done in your life. Inviting people to church is not the same thing as sharing the gospel. So I want to challenge you, don't just invite them here But share the gospel with them where you're at. Share the reason why you have a hope and how the world can find that hope too. And if you're like, what do I say? Say, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus, he rose from the dead. Jesus, he's sitting at the throne in heaven and he is the master of my life and he can be the master of your life and life lived his way. That is truly the best way to live. So you need to follow him. Surrender to him because he is the way to life and there is nothing and no one else that can lead to life and only it's in Jesus. And then if you're still wondering, like, what do I do? Like, Ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage, to give you boldness. That is exactly what the Holy Spirit is for, to give you power to be a witness. Say, Holy Spirit, give me courage today to share my faith. Say, Holy Spirit, open a door for me. Let me find an opportunity. Like, God, if you really want me to share the gospel, my friend in math, let that friend in math like show me a sign. Open a door. Let them ask me a question. Let them do something. Open a door and then give me the courage 
to do it and then share Jesus. Don't hide your light under a basket, but instead let it shine bright for the whole world to see. So with every head bowed and every eye closed,